Well, a bit of a market reaction to non-farm payrolls on Friday, suggesting the U.S. labour market is still fairly resilient, with the unemployment rate falling. A similar story in Canada as well, despite all the hikes by central banks. So is monetary policy working as intended? And an attack on Russian infrastructure. Putin isn't going to take that line down, is he? So let's add his response to the list of things that we should be concerned about this week. And also, U.S. inflation. Will it come down? It's Monday, the 10th of October, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar rose half a percent on Friday, up 0.6% on the week. The Aussie dollar fell half a percent at the end of the week, down to 63.75 US cents. It did get down to 63.55, which was a two and a half year low, but down only 0.4% if we look over the whole week. And a half percent fall in the euro on Friday and 0.7% fall in the pound. And US stocks at the end of the week, they were down quite a bit, quite a reaction to non-farm payrolls. We saw a 3.8% fall in the Nasdaq, 2.8% off the S&P 500 and 2. 1% down for the Dow. Even so, all three indices were actually up a tiny bit if we look over the whole week, whilst the VIX index, the volatility index, is still up there in the 30s, 31.4 at the end of Friday. Uh, it was uh, down to uh, below 20 in late August, so we've come a long way since. And European stocks also down on Friday, a 1.7% fall on the Euro stocks 50, a 0.6% fall off the DAX, and the same deal as the US. Uh, they are all up slightly on the week, even though they fell on Friday. And what about bonds? Well, yields were rising again on Friday. Ten-year treasuries up six basis points to 3.88%. Two years edged up to 4.31%. The moves were even bigger in Europe, though. Ten-year bonds up 11 basis points, the same in France and the Netherlands. Ten-year gilt yields in the UK are up seven basis points to 4.22%. But take a look at Italy. Ten-year yields there were 19 basis points up on Friday, up 68 basis points in a month. Not quite uh, the same as the rise we've seen in the UK over the last month. But the reasons are very similar. They've got a new right-wing government that's leaving everyone guessing with a new budget out this week. And Aussie 10 years were up seven basis points on Friday, up to 3.84%, uh, but up another 10 basis points since then on futures and oil prices rising, a 4.7% rise in WTI on Friday. Brent up 3.7% to 97.92. Uh, it did get over 98.50, edging towards 100. It's actually the highest it's been since late August uh, at uh, 98.50 and Tapper Strickland joins me to kick off the week to talk about all of that with the morning call. Uh, he joins us from NAB in Sydney. So let's start obviously with non-farm payrolls on Friday. Markets reacted largely I think to that falling unemployment rate didn't they? It was 3.5% uh, against 3.7% last time. That was a little unexpected and then the number of new jobs actually a little higher than expected as well. So if anything you know the labour market certainly not easing is it? So is the Fed doing its job? Uh Good morning, Phil. Yes, it was definitely a case of good news is bad news as far as payrolls was concerned. And that headline payrolls print was broadly in line with expectations at 263,000 versus 255,000 expected. Uh, but as you noted, the bigger bit that did move markets was the unexpected fall in the unemployment rate by two tenths to 3.5% from 3.7%. And combined with a part rate that also fell a tenth, uh, suggests the labour market still remains tight. And with those upside risks to wages, despite the fall in job openings that we did see earlier on in the week. Um, the one encouraging sign within the report, and it will take another payrolls report to see whether this is 
emerging as a trend, is that average hourly earnings grew by 0.3%. Now, while that was in line with expectations, when you look at the two-month annualized uh, for average hourly earnings, it's running at 3.6%, which is broadly consistent with at-target inflation. Now, I just want to stress um, it will take a few more payrolls report to get a, a greater uh, delineation of whether this is actually an emerging trend, but it's something worth watching out for. And Marcus didn't pay too much attention to it, really driving off that headline unemployment figure. Um, overall, the figures do suggest the Fed does need to continue to hike rates, and uh, a 75 basis point at the November meeting is very well priced by markets, around 94% price for this. I mean, in terms of the market reaction, um, a very outsized reaction in terms of equities. The bond market reaction was broadly what what you would expect. Um, when you did see those moves, the US 10-year yield up by around five basis points, similar to the two-year yield. And actually, when you look at Fed funds pricing, it wasn't all that different to um, – to prior to the payrolls, at least for expectations for the November meeting. But it, it did move up uh, the peak in the Fed funds pricing to 4.65% in March 2023 uh, from 4.58%. So a little move up there. Uh, but the outsized reaction was overwhelmingly in the equity market. Well, yeah. Uh, so John Williams, uh, New York Fed's John Williams, has been saying, uh, you know, it's a strong uh, job market still. This has shown it that uh, the Fed is going to have to go. Well, he said some, somewhere around four and a half percent over time he was less specific on the time so the market's a little bit ahead of him but that's not the first time we've seen that is it uh no no it's not and in terms of uh, the reaction in terms of markets Perhaps some of the reason why you did see some outside moves is the U.S. does have the Columbus Day holiday uh, tonight. Um, and so mm. it, it was likely that market trading was probably a little bit more thinner than usual. Um, in addition to that, in terms of uh, markets that are open tonight, uh, the bond market is closed tonight, but the equity market is open. Because it's open. Yeah, unusually. So, look, on the, on the jobs, um, so a similar pattern in Canada, wasn't it? Because the unemployment rate there fell from 5.4% down to 5.2%. And again, average hourly earnings uh, were falling as well from 5.6% annual growth in August to 5.2%, quite a big drop in September. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we did see that no big moves on the Canadian dollar. It basically rose, didn't it, along with the US dollar on Friday. But interesting, same thing happening. Unemployment falling, wages easing a bit. Yes, and definitely worth watching out for. And I guess for more confirmation of that may occur in the CPI figures in the US on Thursday. And that's probably the next biggest uh data release, which will provide a little bit more guidance in terms of whether inflation pressures are easing or at least in terms of whether they're starting to edge higher again. Um, I remember on the morning call, we were talking just before the last CPI print about there were some indicators suggestive that goods pricing was easing and easing quite sharply in the US, and yet that wasn't necessarily seen in the headline CPI print last month. Uh, those indicators still suggest there is some easing in inflation pressures, and just one of them I just wanted to highlight was the Mannheim Used Vehicle Value Index, and that fell 3% in September after having fallen 4% in August. So it's always a possibility that you do start to get some of these uh, falls in goods prices starting to come through the US CPI in the coming months. The uncertainty really is, is what's happening on the services side. And if wages pressures are starting to moderate a little bit, as the last two parallels do suggest, then perhaps you do get a little bit more moderation in CPI over the next coming months. But in terms of the pain trade for markets, the pain trade is overwhelmingly, if you did get a higher than expected print, then um, that would suggest the Fed has to do even more. Now, it doesn't seem to be a lot of attention on the US consumer credit numbers, and yet they were an extra $32.2 billion in, in August compared to $23.8 billion in July. Now, these numbers do go up and down a bit, don't they? I imagine they they're hugely seasonal, 
But you would have thought if the Fed was doing its job right, this number would be going down, wouldn't it? And yet, you know, people still obviously putting money on their credit cards, still out shopping. Oh, it, I guess it suggests two things. So uh, one, obviously, some households there are paying relatively expensive debt in order to satisfy mm. Consumption, so in some sense, maybe tighter monetary policy is, is working uh, in the fact that the, the cash flows are being squeezed, um, and that will impact on consumption further down the track. Uh, the second aspect of it, as well, in terms of uh, credit credit card debt, is a lot of people do look at it in terms of households did pay off a lot of credit card debt during the pandemic, just given all the cash flows that they did receive for, from the government. And so it may actually be just some normalization in those cash flows. So uh, the interpretation around those, I think, is relatively torn. Uh, But if you continue to get a a rise in credit card balances outstanding, then that would be suggestive of households' cash flow starting to be eroded and uh, more of them having to use um, relatively expensive debt in order to sustain yeah. consumption yeah not not a good not a good way for them coping with the the situation though is it look you uh, you sent me a, a a link to a report uh which was uh on financial instability on the financial instability real interest rate from the new york fed look i, I tried tapas i i did i did i mean went right over my head but you seem to think it's important what what warnings is this this paper oh, giving us what should we be oh, concerned de- about definitely and just before we go on to that i just wanted to highlight uh two articles by the wall street journal's fed whisperer nick T- timoros um and the first one that markets really paid a lot of attention to was um uh, nick's piece that the fed was on track for another large interest rate hike after the jobs report and that really firmed up the 75 basis point hike but then on the weekend um yeah. he did pen a piece saying the fed's inflation fight has some economists fearing an unnecessary deep downturn and cited a number of uh, former fed officials calling on the fed to actually slow down the pace of rate hikes in order to buy time to see the economic effects of the considerable tightening put into place just given yeah do, do they overshoot absolutely i mean that that is a question isn't it for all the central banks like, will they overshoot do they know when they've overshot that's the big question yes and it? of course the rba was uh, one of the first uh, to step down in terms of the pace of hikes and um, we'll talk about yeah. the financial stability uh, review that came out from the rba on friday uh, a little bit later um in terms of that fed paper um it does raise uh, the possibility that the R-star, the kind of equilibrium interest rate in the economy, um, may be uh, different in the financial sector versus, say, the real economy. And uh, one example of this is in terms of the accumulation of debt that has occurred over the past, uh, say, 12 years in the kind of low interest rate, low volatility environment. And uh, if rates rise quite aggressively, you just don't know what the hidden risks are, what are the non-linearities that will start to reveal themselves when markets do start to get stressed. And one example of that, obviously, was the UK um, defined benefit pension uh, schemes blowing up uh, the week before last. Mm. And you just don't exactly know uh, what kind of low leverage um, schemes were put into place and what will be vulnerable to a rising rate environment. Um, So in terms of uh, it's always possible that the equilibrium financial stability real rate might actually be lower than the economy's real rate just because of, uh, say, the sensitivity of markets to, um, to to interest rates. So I think it's a pretty important paper and it may suggest that um, you markets are right in terms of being worried about something that may break as rates go up, even though you may still have, say, elevated inflation and uh, a relatively tight labor market. Right. And then the Fed and other central banks will be confronted with a fairly tough trade-off there. 
in terms of um, trying to deal with those financial stability concerns um, against uh, inflation that remains too high. So are they doing the right thing? I mean, is that the question? Or are they are they moving too quickly? And the answer seems to be, well, we don't know until something breaks. And then we can say, yeah, well, yes, definitely they did. <laughs> exactly. And I think, uh, and, and we're talking about last week, how um, this is likely to become more of an emerging theme in terms of the narrative mm. out there. And um, in particular, the Bank of England's QE backs, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Bank of England's longer term guild backstop um, is scheduled to end on Friday. And I think they'll be looked at as a key test case on whether central banks are able to um, kind of address these financial stability concerns without it impacting, say, on on monetary policy. Right. So uh, I think Friday is going to be quite important in that respect. Right. Okay. Always worth listening to Tapper Strickland, by the way, as the man who told us that COVID was something we should be worried about. I remember all those years ago and I was going to, are we going to cover this? And you said, yes, I think we should. I think it's going to be quite significant. And uh, look, you're right on that. Uh, look, the RBA financial stability report uh, on Friday, what was in that? Uh, so two things. So... Um, the RBA modelled um, what the kind of impact on households would be if uh, the RBA cash rate followed market pricing. And markets priced an RBA cash rate of around 3.6%. Um, that modelling was done on variable rate borrowers, which comprise around 65% of outstanding mortgage debt. Um, and they found that, um, broadly speaking, um, most borrowers who are variable rate would be well-placed to adjust their finances with only a small share appearing vulnerable to falling into arrears. Uh, when I was looking into details, um, Two key points really stood out for me. Um, 15% of borrowers on the variable rate would see spec cash flow turn negative um, if the RBA cash rate got to 3.6%. So um, we're talking about those credit card balances running up in the US. Um, you're starting to see yeah. those balances also starting to rise in Australia as well, which I think is an interesting development. Um, so perhaps some of those borrowers are starting to see this spare cash flow turn turn negative. So that should have a real economy impact, even if it doesn't have a financial stability impact. Um, and that doesn't and then, explain, uh, I mean, they're, they're not big numbers. That doesn't explain why 25 rather than 50 basis points, though, does it, last week? Uh, no, but then the real kicker here that I thought was um, – if households did not reduce non-essential real consumption, um, around 30% of variable rate borrowers would exhaust savings buffers within six months. Mm. Um, so it does suggest um, if the RBA cash rate gets to that 3.6% level, while there may not be a financial stability uh, impact or the impacts may be relatively small, there's likely to be a fairly large real economy impact. So in that environment, it's probably uh, right to slow down the pace of hikes just to see um, exactly how the household sector is coping with those high rates. Um, and then just finally, uh, all that analysis was done in terms of variable rate borrowers. Um, around 35% of outstanding mortgage debt in Australia is fixed uh, between terms of uh, two to three years. And around two-thirds of those mature by the end of 2023. So those people are going to be faced with loan repayments uh, that are rising by about 40%. Um, right. So um, a lot of uncertainty exactly how those fixed-rate borrowers cope. Now, we've got to be really quick on the rest of this. And there's a few things to very quickly go through. First of all, over the weekend, the Caging Services PMI for September for China uh, from 55 down to 49.3. So falling into contraction territory. And of course, they've got COVID cases rising as well. Actually, interestingly, uh, not rising in the US or in Australia, but rising quite a bit in Europe. The UK saw uh, up 25% in a week last week. Uh, 1.3 million people tested positive in the week ending the 26th of September. So it's back. Obviously, people are not getting as sick as they were before, but the fact it's back in China obviously means, you know, we're seeing it reflected in these numbers, going down rather than going up. Oh, definitely. And for China for this week, uh, the big event is really the National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party, where President yes. Xi is expected to get his third five-year term uh, 
With with that, um, a lot of uncertainty exactly when China starts to pivot to living with COVID. There's some thought that perhaps after that event, then China may start to do the initial stages of starting to pivot with living with COVID. And some hint of that is the changes that have occurred in Hong Kong to, today. Uh, and the second one is uh, the economy remains very weak, um, as you noted with the Kaisen Services PMI. Um, so there is a chance that greater stimulus measures are, are unveiled there. So uh, Sunday, 16th of October, I think is going to be very important to, to watch in the lead up to that event, um, a various different side meetings occurring as well. So may start to get some, some headlines coming out from there as well. And what does Putin do today? That is the other question. He's meeting with his uh, Security Council later on today after that uh, attack on the on the bridge into Crimea. The problem is, of course, it's an attack on Russian infrastructure in territory they believe is Russian. So this could be a significant escalation point. So I guess everyone has to consider that risk right now. Uh, and uh, we also get, uh, well, I guess the big number this week is US CPI, isn't it? We know oil prices have come down, but the core number is going to be the focus on this, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And we've been discussing before that there are some good reasons to think that core number starts to fall. Um, all those anecdotes on the good side should start to flow through. And we thought they would last month, but obviously they didn't flow through last month and it could flow through this month. But really for markets, the pain trade remains that inflation remains sticky and uh, you still continue to see the Fed hiking rates and hiking quite quite aggressively there. Um, and then the other one just worth noting is uh, in terms of the market reaction to the US figures out this week, including the FOMC minutes on Wednesday, uh, the US uh, Treasury is auctioning a whole heap of debt this week, I think about $90 billion worth. So um, mm. I think you're likely to see some pretty outsized market reactions uh, in terms of US data this week. And is oil going to tip over 100? It's not got far to go, has it, after that uh, OPEC plus meeting last week? And then, you know, those uh, that hope of extra supplies coming from Iran, maybe that's now they've started shooting their own people and the US is introducing more sanctions. I mean, that nuclear deal, you know, it's less likely to be finalised in that kind of environment. So extra oil coming from Iran seems a bit unlikely. So uh, we could easily get to 100, couldn't we? Oh, definitely, and as especially if uh, the um, Western nations continue trying to cap Russian oil uh, prices uh, at around that fifty dollars a barrel, uh, Russia has made many comments saying that they'll just refuse to sell oil. So I think in that environment, markets will be pretty uh, uh, wary um, about that, and that could always tip the oil price higher. Yeah, lots of geopolitics sadly around this week. That's for sure. Things just seem to be getting worse, don't they? Uh, we'll leave it there for now, though. Thank you very much for coming on again, Tapas, and kicking the week off for us. We'll catch you again soon. Thanks. Uh, cheers. Yeah, thanks, Phil. And there we are. That is Monday morning on the Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then.